Welcome to the Hillbilly and the Hipster. My name is Chad McCool, and joined with me as always in studio is my brother from another mother, Andy Crow. Andy, what's going on this morning? It's a good morning. It was a long weekend, but it's a good morning. We don't usually uh, record in daylight. We don't. It's weird. Uh, sitting in my office right now at, at home. Um, yeah, so it was a long weekend. I, I got to preach a funeral. That was that was good. Being able to to just be with his family, um, and then here in a few days, school starts back. So that's that. As parents, that's always exciting. Um, but for the boys, it is not exciting. Uh, they're not they're looking excited. They don't have. Well, they're excited they don't have to go to summer camp anymore. <clears throat> but they are uh, they are not excited to have to go to school. Hmm. They're like, Dad, can't we just stay home with you? You work from home. And I was like, I only work from home two days. Um, and no. Because if you're home, I'm not working. Because I'm going to shoot you with Nerf guns all day. <laughs> that's, that's how Dad gets target practice. <laughs> and then... And then this coming up Friday, I think it's a Friday, sometime this weekend, um, me and Dr. Wife have a couple friends coming down from the Hopes, and uh, we're going to see for King and Country in concert. Oh, nice. Well, that's exciting. I enjoy them. They put on a good show. That'd be a good time. We're, think, uh, uh, we're prepping at church for Back to School Bash. This coming weekend, so it's a lot of work stuffing backpacks and breaking out the cotton candy and the snow cone machines for yeah, Saturday morning. I think we did that at our church last Sunday night. Um, great turnout, great, great outreach event. Um, I think it's something more churches are starting to do, but still so many churches still need to to work toward that. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I don't want to use the word competition, but where, where I live, you're definitely, uh, as far as the churches that do it, you are up against some pretty big secular organizations that are doing it, particularly like media, the television stations and things like that. And, you know, those television stations then do cross promotion with, you know, sports teams and all that stuff. So it's, uh, you know, and, and they... It's harder because I think people look at what am I going to get the best ROI on, and so the the ABC affiliate with the you know the NFL team partnering, I think I'm getting better school products than I am from a little Baptist church on the corner. Yeah, but I mean, it's been my experience that people will go to multiples. Oh yeah, and we had a really good turnout last year. It was one of the best events we had. Um, we did some data collection. I, I've re-invited some of those families. We served like over 100 families last summer, and that's huge for this church. And so, yeah, uh, no, that's it's it's beautiful. I, and like I said, uh, it's something that I, I I think we should take a little more serious in the faith community because it, there's such a need. You know, and I I think next year what I'd like to do is tie this into the to the culmination of VBS. And make them kind of one thing, you know, like if we do VBS later or, or you know, something along those lines. But I, I know I, I'm beginning to think this is a bigger, 
bigger outreach event than than having this as a, a fall festival or trunk or treat or something like that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we did a we did a big back to school bash in Terre Haute. If I'm not mistaken, that was the event that we like. We had fireworks and all that good stuff for too. So it was it was a lot of fun when we did it. So Andy, why don't you tell us about the St. Galgano Armory? Yeah. Let's talk about our boys at St. Galgano. St. Galgano Armory is the premier destination for handcrafted blacksmith merchandise. They use traditional techniques to create unique and stunning pieces, each one embedded with the spirit of St. Galgano himself. They're really a work of art. St. Galgano Armory believes that quality and authenticity are paramount, and that's why they use the finest materials and take pride and have their commitment to uh, traditional craftsmanship. The products that they make are not only beautiful, but they're functional. We have them in our offices, uh, both, and then in our homes as well. Uh, something you should definitely check out. A portion of each sale goes back into the community to a different nonprofit. And they uh, he they are very uh, big on giving back. It is It is what his whole mission is. So I would highly recommend going and checking them out. You can visit their shop at etsy.com slash shop slash St. Galgano Armory. Saint is spelled out. Uh, and you can also visit them on the social media at, at St. Galgano on both Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it these days, and Instagram. Yeah, they have great stuff. I, I use my bottle opener my uh my rebar bottle opener a couple times this weekend so still yeah, I, the best bottle my, opener it's the best one i've ever had i've used that bottle opener more than i ever thought i would as somebody <laughs> who doesn't drink out of a lot of bottles i i used it to open up a few mexican cokes this weekend uh there's there's root beer being drunk in my house these days um, which I find to be absolutely disgusting. I don't know if you're a root beer fan, um, but it is gross. I'm not as much a root beer fan, but I think growing up in the mid-Atlantic, particularly in the New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, I'm really big on what they call birch beer. Um, mm -hmm. If you can get a hand of that, get a hold of that, that's really good. So Turner, we don't let him drink um, soda, especially anything with caffeine. Um, and his mother, God love Dr. Wife. Like she's we had all these things. Well, when we're parents, we'll never do this and we'll never do that. Look at that yeah, parent. Like uh, I did that know, too. We, and then Ashley doesn't want to be the bad guy because I I play that role real well. And so we broke down and she's like, Well, you can have Sprite. Well, I didn't want them to have Sprite, but now now I can't say no because Dr. Wife said they could have Sprite. I'm slipping that kid a Mountain Dew when I come visit. Look, look. And so now he gets to have, um, we'll come back to Mountain Dew here in just a second. Now he gets to have, what are we talking about? Root beer. Now he, you've got me flustered with the Mountain Dew because pop pop, man. Oh, pop pop. Um, so now he gets to have root beer because the lady at the store at the restaurant one time said, oh, it doesn't have caffeine, dad. Um, and then it was either me be a complete jerk and send my kids over the edge um, or let him have it. And so yesterday, this is a fun story. Yesterday he had it and he's tired of ordering off the kids menu. 
so after church we go to I think we we're at O'Charlie's and, and the young one he orders you know he's very cultured has a very refined palate um so he ordered like the most cultured meal on the the menu and he got chicken fingers and fries gonna say um, he's getting chicken fingers yeah he is uh but ran he dips it in ranch he's classy he dips it in ranch um i don't remember what dr wife got i think she got soup and salad um i at the shock of most people that waited on me uh with my size i got a salmon caesar salad and then the oldest because he's a man he got ribs, french fries, and a root beer. Okay, so my dude is just, like, destroying these ribs, okay? He's, he's just he got one living, each. He's living his best life. He, I mean, your time. that man is a... <laughs> he he is a middle-aged, divorced man, okay? That's, that's what he is. And so he's got a rib in each hand just gnawing, right? And he drops the ribs... He was classy enough to wipe his hand, and he grabs the root beer bottle that looks like a beer bottle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just knocks it back, takes a swig, puts it down, and goes right back to the ribs. And I was like, there are people looking that don't understand what's going on, and it's beautiful. And he's going to step outside with one of your candy cigarettes. Yes. He <laughs> asked the other day. I was on Amazon for something. He goes, hey, Dad, can you buy me some candy cigarettes? Because he knows I have a carton of candy cigarettes uh, in my in my desk drawer at work uh, to make fun of my mother, who now works with us. But on to Mountain Dew. So last summer, my mom and, and dad watched the boys while we went on vacation. And uh, they call them Grandma and Pop Pop. Um, I, got, I chose Pop Pop for my stepdad. I, I remember. Because there was a thing called Dollar Shave Club back in the day, and one of the commercials were talking about, you know, look, this was invented by my granddad, and blah, blah, blah. And they drive by his picture on a forklift. He's like, looking good, pop, pop. <laughs> and I looked at my mother, and I go, and that's what Turner will call Rob. And so we're we're off in the Dominican last summer, and, and Grandma and Pop Pop have the boys, and they're out on the on the river fishing, right? They're on the boat. And not only do they let my then eight-year-old son ride in the front seat of a car, because why not? Um, they put him in a boat, which the boat didn't bother me. Like he I don't care. I you know, I was on a boat when I was a kid, no big deal. But he says, Pop, pop, I'm thirsty. And does Pop-Pop give him a bottle of water? No. no. Pop-Pop gives that kid a Mountain Dew. Amen. And then he calls me in the Dominican that night. He's like, Dad, Dad, guess what? Dad, guess what I drink? What I drink? And I was like, well, I'm assuming from your poor English and the fact that it's 10 o'clock there and you're bouncing off the walls. And if you don't know my oldest, which you don't, um... When he tells you he's going to stay up all night, he's asleep by 8.30. Every time. It's 10, and he is bouncing off the walls. And so I'm like, they gave you Coke, didn't they? No. No, and I was like, well, I wasn't talking about Coke the drink. I was talking about Coke. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's like, no, no, no. Pop-Pop gave me Mountain Dew. And I go, hey, could you do me a favor? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I go, tell Pop-Pop he's not allowed to come around you anymore. <laughs> 
Pop Pop's no longer your grandfather. We don't even know Pop Pop. You I'm see slipping Pop, that. Pop, you, you, you run and scream. I'm slipping that kid a Baja blast. Dang it, Bobby. <laughs> and welcome to the tire fire that is the hillbilly in the hip. No, no, no. We've been upgraded. We're a dumpster fire now. Keith dumpster said. fire. Keith said we're a dumpster fire. That's right. Oh, yeah. the joys of Mountain Dew. Well, I'll tell you this. If uh, she'll hear this, I think left to her own devices, my my wife would take one of those giant insulated big bubbas, go to Taco Bell and just hit the Baja Blast, fill it five gallons of Baja Blast, and that'll fuel her day. I'm drinking out of one of those giant insulated bubbas. Um, I've you know I've never as much as I like King of the Hill. Um, and really Taco Bell for that matter. I've never drank a Baja Blast. And I can be real honest, unless Taco Bell wants to sponsor us. Um, which hey, Taco Bell, what's up? Uh I can be real honest when I say I probably will never drink a Baja Blast. <laughs> there there's always some weird well, maybe not always, but occasionally there's a weird flavor of Mountain Dew. That's in my refrigerator because you got to try them all. But do you? I'm not trying them. I'm not trying them. Look, sis, stop it. But they love America because they had a red, white, and blue on this year. Yeah, they do. So I used to drink Mountain Dew a little bit. But then in college, like when I started college and did my own grocery shopping and was a real boy and didn't have mom telling me no. Um, I drank so much Diet Mountain Dew that now just the sheer flavor of Mountain Dew makes me want to throw up. I feel like, and I know I, I know some things that I say on the show shouldn't be said on a show of this nature. Um, like the thing that I'm about to say now, and I'm sorry. But, you know, most people who go to state schools and college and have a rebellious side... Um, at least for a few months, have that one alcoholic beverage that, like, just the name of it makes you gag a little bit. Like, that you got so obliterated in college, you're like, oh, God, I can't even think about it without wanting to just continue to throw up. Um, that is Diet Mountain Dew for me. <laughs> oh, so I, I like Mountain Dew, I and but the diet, not as much as now they have the zero. And the zero sugar, it's still diet, but it's by far superior to diet. It doesn't have the funky aftertaste. But but Mountain Dew in general, but especially diet Mountain Dew, man. Like uh, I take a drink of that and I'm just like, Ooh! I'll still have an occasional Ma- Mountain Dew. And, and actually, when I lived in Indiana, the beautiful thing about Indiana is they still have Diet Code Red. And so uh-huh. you can't get Diet Code Red anywhere else but Indiana, apparently. And it's it's wonderful. Yeah, Dr. Wife has ruined me because before I met her, like I didn't know what water tasted like because if it wasn't sweet tea, Coke, Sprite, or Mountain Dew, I didn't drink it. Yeah. Uh, because you know, at the dining hall in, in college, you just took your cup up to the fountain and you got what you wanted. It was free refills. Um and you know, mom wasn't there, and really my mom never made me drink water. We drank Kool-Aid. Nobody um, drank water. Yeah, and so Dr. Wife was uh, like a water fiend. That's all she would drink. And so I remember like going to her apartment, um, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get something to drink. What do you got? And she's like, uh, water? 
And I was like, are you poor? Do you need me to buy you something? Like, you make more money than me, but are you okay? And so since we've been together, like, I don't drink a lot of soda anymore. Like, it, a couple times a year, I'll go through a soda phase. Um, and then when we lived in Iowa, there was no sweet tea to be found anywhere. And Dr. Wife doesn't like sweet tea because uh, she's a pagan. Um, but that's not the point. Northerners. Ugh. But uh, so then I didn't drink. A, I learned to drink unsweet tea. Um, I don't know who chooses to drink unsweet tea, but I mean, I will if it's a last resort. But mostly all anymore I drink anymore is water. And I just, I feel like I'm missing out so much. Man, my diabetes thanks me because it's not well, here anymore. But <laughs> the funny thing about water is I think when I was a kid, right, there were two things. I was just thinking about this because this water thing became a craze and I you know I moved to to Colorado some 20 years ago or so and everybody carried water bottles around and so when I was a kid I had a fear I I, I just feared that adulthood when I became an adult that at some point when I left home life quicksand was going to be something that I experienced yes. a lot in life and I never drank water and now I'm I'm just disappointed that quicksand is not a thing and I literally carry a quart of water everywhere I go so like I'm in the was, desert. Yeah, yeah. Well, aren't you technically in a desert? I am. I'm the only okay. Coloradan who knows that we're in a desert because everybody else wants Kentucky bluegrass, bluegrass lawns and doesn't want and one wonders why we have no water. Yeah. So, um, when I was a kid, I, and as an adult, I'm very disappointed because one, I, I don't have to like jump to move out of quicksand very quick. It was um, everywhere, and it was everywhere. We had as kids, it was quicksand. Um, the last one I'm going to probably get canceled for, but like, there's no quicksand. I'm not offered drugs by strangers near as much as grade school told me I would be. <laughs> and especially um, in candy. Yeah. Yeah. N not once has a grown man been like, Hey, fatso, you want some candy? <laughs> no, because <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say yes. What you got? In a van. <laughs> ah, now you're just on my caseload. Um, and then what was the, there was two more. I don't well, remember now the third you're one, gonna, but the you're fourth one, die. and this is this is the one that's going to get me canceled. Um, you know, we're not in the nice age. Oh, climate change! We're all going to die. <laughs> if if everything doesn't stop in ten years, we're going to be in a nice age. Well, I, have you been outside lately? Because we're not in the nice age. I I, I, li I live in a place where the average temperature for July is eighty nine to ninety degrees, and it's ninety three. And all I hear from the weather people is. This is the effects of climate change, and we're gonna we're in serious trouble. We're literally three degrees warmer this summer than the average, and we haven't had that many above average ninety days. But every time, and then the wet. Have what, you noticed the weather maps are red now? Like they, you know, they used to be oh, nice yeah. colors, but now it's red. Like it's very like danger. My favorite was everybody being all up in arms when the teenage girl from Germany, I think she was from Germany. Greta Thunberg? Yeah. She was like, you've taken my childhood and look at the climate change. Like, we're all looking to her like she's some climate change expert. She's a kid. And I guarantee you she's flying to all these conferences on a G4. Private, yeah. It's like Bill Gates. 
Bill Gates is like, we got to do something to affect the climate. We'll fly commercial. No, nah, I can't do that. I got four four of these bad boys. I got to get them out and make sure they run. So it's, in like a rigorous... old, it's like old guys just going out to start their motorcycle in December to make sure that everything's right. still going okay. Because they didn't feel stable in it when they put it up for the winter. So this is in our rigorous pre-show prep. This is not what we're going to talk about, but apparently we're getting canceled and commiserating over the fact that quicksand is not an everyday occurrence in our lives. That may be the, the saddest part of my adulthood. I was ready for it. I mean, I was prepped. Everything of my childhood involved quicksand. Anything I consumed media was. And, and I, I even think I watched a lot of Davy and Goliath. I used to get in trouble with my mom. The Lutheran church was, I was getting Jesus through the Lutherans on these old claymation cartoons they made. If you've never seen Davy and Goliath, it's about a boy who never does what Jesus wants. And he has a talking dog who is, you know, very knowledgeable about scripture and gets Davy out of trouble. And I guess as the, I have the whole thing on DVD. And I guess as the show went on, they never replace the puppets because the dog is pretty threadbare. He's got bald spots. He looks like he's got the mange after a while. But I even think there's a Davy and Goliath episode involving quicksand. So I really you know there was. <laughs> there's always, always an episode about quicksand. Yeah, that was that was the big thing. I totally expected as an adult, quicksand was going to be a legit thing for us. Yeah, so now, that was the same for I'm, you, quicksand, too. That's good. And I, I get more and more disappointed to the point that I, I'm going to... Now, we have uh, in the bottoms, down behind my grandma's, which is now my aunt, so I should probably just say down behind my aunt's, um, there's, like, this quicksand-like stuff. Well, like, you can jump in and out of it pretty easy, but it'll it'll sink you in. Uh, and I I'll, I know this because I, I got a go-kart stuck in it one time, a little doom buggy. Uh, and then my uncle one time got a horse stuck in it. Like the horse fell and then freaked out and struggled and sank. And so he had to go get a tractor and hook a chain to the horse and pull the horse out. See, you fulfilled every childhood dream of like a, a kid born in the eighth, you know, a kid from the 80s or 90s. You've experienced uh, quicksand. Yeah, I guess I have. But it's not like it's not prevalent. Like I just want to be walking in downtown Owensboro and be like, oh no, quicksand, everybody run. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw that in cartoons. That's the future they told me I was gonna have. That and you know, the Jetsons, I, I was gonna be eating dinner and you know, Thanksgiving dinner was a capsule and I'd have a flying car and I have no flying car. Yeah. Yeah, that's disappointing. Cartoons really messed up my expectations. What are we actually talking about today? We're going to talk about worship. And I'll tell you this, a couple weeks this ago. It's a heck of a segue. We've gone from quicksand to worship. I love it. Well, well, sometimes worship services can seem like you're in quicksand. Oh, let's sing the bridge one more time. But uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I came across a tweet by a gentleman named Asher Griffin. Um, he is a pastor in Oklahoma, and his tweet was simply this. Compliment from a 30-year-old joining our church on our quote-unquote liturgy, a.k.a. a lot of praying slash singing slash reading. And the quote is, it's the most masculine way I've ever approached God. 
And then he goes on to say he is a former F-16 pilot who was deployed six times. And and this really resonated with me because I've been trying to think, I've been thinking and praying a lot and discussing with some people about, you know, there's a, I'm in the midst of a revitalization or really the beginning phases of a church revitalization. And a lot of folks tell you, you know, you need to win children, you need to win children, you need to win families. And I don't disagree with that, but I think the way to win families is to win men. And I, I mean, this is me. I personally think that the church has done a lot to dissuade men from coming to church and, and, and the church services tend to be feminized from the way the building looks, from the songs we sing, from the, the winsomeness that's preached in the pulpits. Right there, it is, and I'm not talking about some, you know, crazy jacked up Theobro with a chainsaw that comes out. Like you don't have to be that way, but I I do think that there is an opportunity for the church to embrace a masculine style of worship. And for my own self, when I've gone to some conferences, even some small gatherings, right, there might only be you know fifty to a hundred men in the audience and they hear their voices singing. Like sometimes it still gives me like goosebumps when I think about it. Those have been some of the best worship filled experiences I've had. Not, you know, we went to a conference in Kansas city a few years back. Right. And it was just a, a husband and wife with a keyboard and a guitar. There was no, you know, there wasn't lights. There wasn't lyrics on the screen. There wasn't, you know, the big show. It was really simple. And there was probably a hundred men in that auditorium in that sanctuary who lifted their voices. Yeah, that was that was probably one of the most authentic worship services I've set through. And I think for me, when I think about worship, and maybe this is my reformedum that kicks in, right? I'm a I'm a big, you know, believer of the regulative principle, right? And a regular principle to to just kind of suss it out is that basically that what we do in worship is derived directly from the Bible, right? So uh, whether those practices were explicitly commanded or or exemplified in scripture, that it's something that's in scripture where what we see in a lot of other churches is a normative principle where if it's not banned in scripture, it's good. So I think that's why you see the the quote-unquote pastors of Saddleback last week coming out as uh, Woody and Bo Peep from Toy Story and as a man, if my pastor comes out in a Woody costume, um, I'm walking out, man. <laughs> like, I'm gonna be real honest. I must have missed that because I I don't remember that at all. Oh, really? It's all over Twitter. So I will uh, I'll share that from the Twitter account. The video of Pastor, I think his name is Andy Wood, and and his wife, who are the co-pastors of Saddleback of Rick Warren's church, coming out as uh, Woody because they have it at the movies series for the summer and i'm assuming they preached on a toy story movie now okay as a youth and kids pastor i i i could see me doing that but at like sunday service you're coming out into the pulpit no no like in a kid's service okay like with my kids, because you know it, you can you can find snippets to to that point to Christ, right? So you you use that to keep their attention. But adults, no, there's no way. And I've done 
some stupid things to get adults' attention from the pulpit. But uh, that's a bit far. You know, and and basically, I think... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, were you at Agape the the Sunday I almost walked off the stage because I wasn't paying attention to where I was at? No, but I heard that. It was a good time. It was a good time. Always know your surrounding people. Yes, be aware. Be aware. And so, you know, and I think that for me, you know, and I think those who who embrace the regular principle, right? The, the, there's biblical. Um, Paul particularly lays out uh, in First Timothy four, right, to preach the Bible, in Second Timothy four to sing the Bible, um, both to in his letters to the uh, in, to the church at Ephesus and Ephesians and Colossians, right, to to sing the psalm the Psalms as well as as scripture songs that reflect the development of a redemptive history and the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension of, ascension of Jesus Christ, right? Pray in the Bible. Um, in, in Matthew 21, verse 13, right? It's, the scripture says that the, the Father's house is a house of prayer. And uh, and Jesus himself, right? Jesus teaches us how to pray. And and it also gives us the two ordinances, right? Of, of coming to the Lord's table and and baptism. Like to me, Anything outside of that. Now, I'm not going to argue, well, you have drums, so that's unbiblical. No, I mean, but, you know, I think anything in those that falls under those categories, I think, is open game as far as a Sunday worship service. But ultimately, right, the word has to be preached. The gospel has to be taught. Um, And I think prayers, I I will say this, the church that I currently pastor, I've been criticized for praying too much and reading too much scripture. Because I think that for a lot of folks, right, they want their ears tickled. They want to feel good. Um, but I, I've had messages from people that we pray too much and that we read too much scripture. And I think prayer, right, prayer is the most powerful thing that we should be doing first and foremost as a church, right? Because it's uh, prayer shouldn't be passive. And I think we've had so much times of passive prayer that we do have to embrace the warrior spirit in prayer, right? To embrace more of a masculine style of prayer. So I know I've gone on for a long time, Andy, but. No, uh, I I just get dumbfounded every time you tell me that you've been criticized for praying too much. Because if you're not praying in the Lord's house, why are you there? Well, definitely during worship. Like it should just be there. They, they have an idea that it should just be at select times and that's it. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. Right, and I think this isn't necessarily a masculine trait, right? But I, I do think that if we we look at having that warrior spirit when we pray, particularly in corporate prayer, right? To, to not only to, I mean, Jesus taught us in in the Lord's prayer, He's never using singular pronouns; He's always using plural pronouns. It's not I, I, I. It's we, us, right? We're supposed to be praying for the collective. Um, and I think that having that spirit and prayer to seek God's guidance to overcome challenges and trials as a, a body of believers is important, right? Because, I mean, the, the apostles prayed for boldness, and I don't think we approach prayer with boldness. Uh, we don't pray, approach prayer with boldness or determination and courage. And I think that's a really good tactic to embrace 
in our in our time of prayer to really embrace a sort of i guess a more masculine style of worship because prayer is the most powerful weapon if not it is a powerful weapon if not the most powerful weapon in spiritual warfare right so for a lot of times prayer is a declaration of war so and i'll also say this i don't i think we're afraid to be vulnerable in prayer um like i don't think we comprehend that like god already knows Mm-hmm. Right, God already knows what we need. God already knows what we're doing. God already—he just—he knows. And so there are times that I'll have something that I need or I want or I'm just—I'm struggling. Right, there are times that I struggle with my job. Right, for multiple for multiple reasons. And if you listen to a couple episodes ago, that'll make sense to you. Um, but then there are times that I also struggle. Like, why am I not serving? at a church like in in the pastoral role like that's what i'm called to do am i doing something wrong um but i also feel like that's not big enough to take to god right i i feel like if i say that to god then maybe that's going to open myself up to some sort of god god's going to sit on his his great high throne and be like you're weak <laughs> and so i don't I don't bring that stuff to him. And then I stick to my cookie cutter personal prayers. And I, you know, and then I just, I feel so convicted, you know, a little bit later because I think in prayer, we have to be upfront because God already knows. And we have to be vulnerable because what are we hiding from God? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. God gave us the emotions. It's okay to be emotional. I know as men, we're, we're taught, it's not very masculine to cry. You know, you, you take all your problems and you hold them in and you, you tuck them down. And then, you know, when the, when the straw that breaks the camel's back hits, then you just unleash it on somebody. That's, that's what we're taught as kids. And if you don't believe that, then let's look at, look at how we handle kids when they're hurt. If a little girl falls off her bike. Oh, honey, are you okay? You're going to be fine. Oh, let's, Let's take care of that so it doesn't scar. Turner falls off his bike. Rub some dirt on it and suck it up. Chicks dig scars. Absolutely. The things I hated from my stepfather as a kid, the whole be a man thing. Yeah. I may not have I may not have been as harsh, but it was basically be a man. Stop crying. Right. And so I don't condone that, by the way, if you're listening, that's no, it sounds, I mean, you know, I wasn't that harsh, but, you know, I mean, I, I really realized that that mindset was natural to me. Oh, no, I tell I tell Turner to suck it up all the time. And then a little while later, I'm like, that probably wasn't the best choice of words. Well, now he's, he's eating me. ribs and sucking down root beers <laughs> at Oh Charlie. Yeah, so, you know, he'll be giving toast at weddings before you know it. But we have to be vulnerable. Because here's it's, the thing, if if we as men, as we lead our families, right, if we're not vulnerable in front of our families, we're not vulnerable to God, then we're not showing our sons how to pray right. We're not showing our wives that we're able to lead them. And I, I agree with you, but I think. And I think some- and I, I may have I may have rabbit holed in another direction from where we meant to go. No, you're I'm fine. talking, I'm talking more personal than corporate. 
Okay. So, but uh, even in a corporate setting, right? So I, I, so I, I will say this to speak for myself. I'm not, I mean, I'm pretty vulnerable. I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. You know, I'm what you see is what you get, but I, I really try to protect some of my vulnerability. I talked about us with a small group last night. Like I'm, I don't want to say I'm afraid, but yeah, I, I probably have a fear and I'm, I'm really guarded about how vulnerable I am in a corporate worship setting because, yeah. because it's come back to bite me in the past. And I think that they see you as vulnerable and they see you, the body may see your pastor as in, well, I, they should see all pastors as imperfect, but sometimes it's not so much like you think, oh, well, he's just like me. Sometimes it's come back to bite me that oh you're weak you're you're weak and uh i'm not gonna and, you know you're unqualified because you're vulnerable well I, I think there's a difference in being vulnerable and being weak and i definitely you know there are those pastors who are not genuine with their vulnerability right well, and they're, I the think... one, they're the ones that they cry on cue and they mm. it's all a show and well, so think about that for, for a second, right? But think about that, right? The, the vulnerable pastor, I, I don't think that's a problem to be vulnerable. And and I, there are times I cry in the pulpit when I, you know, if I preach or read the stoning of Stephen, I cannot get through that, that those passages without breaking down, sobbing. Um, And it's not on cue by any means. It's just, it, it naturally happens every time I read it. But there is this, trend right and in, in, you know we've been we've been led as, as pastors by the powers that be and those platform guys for a long time that to be winsome right to be you know softer in the pulpit and and you know don't take a stand on anything and embrace the culture and, and instead of you know a, allow it and and to me that's allowed so much of cultural nonsense to enter the church not that you know the church has acquiesced to culture and and we think that we're winning by not really sharing the gospel, but it's okay to never tell anybody that sin is real, you know, sin is real, hell is real, any of that stuff. And do you see that that could be a slippery slope? That if you're purposefully trying to be vulnerable, could that be a slippery slope to win some of this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would say. I'm trying to think of how I want to put this because I don't want, I don't want my thoughts to be misconstrued. Right. I'll say this as, as a former third way winsome preacher, right. I, I thought that that was the way to go because guys who were way smarter than me had bigger churches than me. That's what they were doing. That's what they were suggesting I was doing. And so I always had this stance that I had to be a moderate, right. So on any issue, right. And, and, I'm not talking about political candidates, but there are biblical issues that have political consequences, right? And so I would always take the middle road on that. I wouldn't, I would never really express what my true feelings were because I thought this is how we have to go. We can't upset the masses, but in essence, it's sinful because I'm going against God's word by taking this lukewarm approach, which we all know in Revelation, right? Jesus says, I, I vomit the luke, you know, you're lukewarm, I vomit you out of my mouth. Mm hmm. Yeah, so say your question again. I don't remember it. Oh, uh, do you think that, the you know, purposefully being vulnerable, right, from a, a pastoral role, like 
purposefully being vulnerable in the pulpit, is that a slippery slope towards, you know, the winsomeness middle road? I, I think it can. Yeah, I don't think, I think it's necessarily a direct route, but yeah. But I also think if if me as is as Andy, if I'm vulnerable from the pulpit, I'm not gonna pull any punches. I'm gonna oh, tell yeah. you exactly. I'm gonna tell you exactly yeah. what I think. I'm gonna tell you how I feel as far as what you know my interpretation of the scripture is, um, and then I'm gonna tell you, in in a, the most loving way possible, that I really don't care how you feel about this scripture, that your feelings do not matter, um, and that is. That sounds rather jerkish, you might say, and um, I am in no way meaning to be a jerk, but in the most respectful way possible, I do not care what you feel Scripture is saying. What I care about is what is Scripture saying. And And I don't think... Yeah, I don't um, think you. My version, I think my version of being vulnerable, um, isn't a lot of people's version. Like I, I want to be open and upfront with who I am. I want to be open and upfront with my flaws as a person. Um, but I don't want to diminish the gospel by being open and upfront. If that makes sense. No, it doesn't. I think that that's a, a really key point because that's the difference, right? If if you go in with this sort of, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody who is naturally winsome and naturally this is just their personality, right? But it seems like it's so manufactured, especially in some churches from a, a specific, you know, Calvinistic church planning network that I was a part of. That's all they became. And it, it's mirrored. It's this manufactured sort of third way mentality, which is then made that, you know, social justice is the, is the gospel, not that the the gospel covers social justice, but that you needed a social justice gospel. You need this gospel. You need, you know, these are the dudes that are walking around in t-shirts now that say, let's let women preach or, or hear women preachers and things like that, because it's whatever the new, whatever the flavor is from culture they immediately immediately absorb it and pull it into the church as the next big thing. And I think if you don't have that mindset going in, your vulnerability is going to be natural and it's going to naturally turn to the Bible. I mean, I think about Paul, right? I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but at the end of his, the church he loved in Ephesus, the church he planted, he's basically, all right, I'm out of here, guys. See you later. You're on your own. God's with you. Hopefully, maybe I'll see you when I see you. And that's it, right? Like he, there, he didn't pull any punches. Don't screw this up. Right. He didn't put and they did, right? But he didn't pull any punches. I think and I think there's a there is a slippery slope to vulnerability because I, I want to say I heard Joe Thorne say this once. I think it was Joe Thorne, or maybe it wasn't, but basically said it's okay for you to, you know, in the pulpit, right? To be vulnerable and let them know your flaws and things like that, but you're not a clown. Don't Absolutely. You don't have to reel everything. You don't have to reveal everything. So you just become one of those, those punching bag clowns I had when I was a kid where you punched it and it got back up again. So you could punch it again. Yes. What I will say, I think too often, especially in youth ministry, I had gone the route of 
talking about my past sins, trying to relate and show that you can come from it to the point that we uh it's almost like we're glorifying our sins um, oh yeah that, I, I never that, i never meant it in that way but yeah. looking back i think maybe i did well it easily can turn into like oh wait a minute you know what I, you did that that's nothing you know what i did and it becomes sort of this instead of you really what the point is and and it, it, i think it indirectly turns into a locker room uh yes. rather than you know a spiritual engagement particularly with young men. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. So, I mean, I, I just, you know, if we just break down prayer, right? That prayer prayer should not be passive. It, it should always be a bold expression of our faith, uh, whether, it, you know, individually, in a group or a corporate prayer. And I do think that we need to, approach prayer with with boldness we need determination in our prayer and we have to have courage when we pray right and that may be even though it sounds like it's the it's the flip side of it but to have boldness and courage in prayer i believe that vulnerability is a big part of that right that if we are courageous and bold in approaching the throne of the lord with our with, with our requests um vulnerability opens that up because if we have that mindset, and it, I don't, you know, this definitely is a more masculine mindset, but I think it, it works for the, the church as a whole, that if we really see prayer as this powerful weapon in spiritual warfare, where we begin and, and we have to engage in fervent prayer and persistent prayer. This isn't just a break glass in case of emergency prayer, because, you know, you're up that river without the paddle, like, we should be praying boldly what, and everything and every what day. What river is that, Chad? This is a family podcast. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> something I heard around the way. You know, it's something I, I, I used a lot, right? That break the glass in case of emergency. If you're a certain age, you remember these things all over the place to get to the fire extinguisher, the fire alarm. You have to use this little hammer, break the glass and pull it down. And and then when we're in the midst of those storms, that's what we tend to do, right? And those turn into the, I'm on my knees. Those are the bargaining chip prayers. Like, Lord, if you get me through this, I'm going to be good. I'm going to church. I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to do, I'm going to be a better person. Where Absolutely. And, and, and those bargaining prayers never work out because we're, we're human and we're always going to fall. But I do believe that if we are in fervent, constant, consistent, persistent prayer with the Lord, when those storms happen, we know what to do because he's already told us, you know, and, and we know what to do because we've been, we've been communicating with him and, and going through his word. So we know what to do. Absolutely. So Andy, I'm going to produce on the fly and I'm thinking, you know, I had a couple of points we could talk about, about worship. And I know that, uh, we have a tighter schedule today because you have a real job and I'm, uh, I'm not preaching for the next two weeks. So um, my sermon prep day has opened up a little bit for me. No, but I mean, I, we, you know, we, we have, you have things to do and, and schedules, but uh, you know, maybe potentially these are, these are topics we can talk about over the next few episodes and, and break down worship and, and maybe really get into do we, do you see, I think we have some differences in approaches to worship and those aren't wrong. They're just differences. Um, Absolutely. But do you see, Maybe we can talk about that more like 
embracing a masculine style of worship, right? Because we think about one of the big ways is music. Like I hate singing Jesus is my boyfriend songs. And a lot of what you hear on K-Love and things like that is we're singing love songs of Jesus, not adoration, right? I remember somebody told me you could take a game. You could take a a, a pop song and a, and a contemporary Christian song, remove Jesus or a girlfriend, boyfriend, or whatever, out of the the secular song, and could you tell the difference if you replaced the words? Oh yeah, that's uh, that's a terrifying game to play. It it uh, there's not a lot of contemporary music that is truly showing adoration to Jesus. It's a lot of Jesus is my boyfriend. So I don't Andy, know that I've heard it put that way, and I'm I'm uncomfortable. It's because I am the patriarchy. Remember. Yeah. <laughs> it has never left my mind. <laughs> Andy, what's been good for you as we wrap up? What, what what's some good things? What's something something you've experienced? What's something you're using? You got any recommendations for anybody? Um you put me on the spot with that one. So I don't I don't necessarily have any recommendations. Um if I if I did, I guess, you know, read a psalm a day they they help um like i was saying i uh did that funeral this past weekend um memorial service whatever we want to call it um and, and got a lot of strength from the psalms um and so that was good just being able to spend that time with that family um but just you know something that has really helped me over the last couple of weeks cuz my job is nuts right now I'll go from a week of everything's okay to a week of, you know, my caseload is about like my, my podcast. It's just a dumpster fire. So I'm trying to put fires out left and right, but I, I've taken kind of a step back to where like 4:30 hits and it's 4:30. Um, and last week the boys had football practice every day. And while it got tiresome sitting out from 5:30 to eight, at a football field while one boy has practice and then the other boy has when, when that one's done watching the look of complete joy on their face as they run around a football field. And, and my oldest is in tackle football for the first year and he's going to play offensive and defensive line. And, you know, hearing the analogies of, Oh, I get to knock somebody's head off and, Oh, I get to protect this guy. Like he's the King of England. And, like just the joy on his face. Like he Turner, God love him. He came off the field the other night. They haven't even put pads on yet. They put pads on for the first time tonight. So that'll change. And I'll send you a picture, Chad. But like I giggled because he came off with the most psychotic grin I've ever seen. He goes, Dad, I'm bleeding. He's got the heart of a a, a 70s defensive lineman. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, my God, are you okay? Do we need a Band-Aid? Do we need to get some peroxide? Like, I went straight millennial dad. And then he's like, dad, don't touch it. This is awesome. I'm bleeding. And then I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I'd cut my leg and be like, oh, that's cool. Let's squeeze it to see how much blood I can get. So my mom will freak out when she sees it. So it's like this little gash that, you know, doesn't need anything but you squeeze it enough and you look like you've killed 14 pigs and a dog i i remember like 
old school football, right? I remember seeing pictures of, I believe it was Lyle Azedo. I think he'd broken his nose and there's just blood all under his mask and he never wiped it away. It just looked like war paint, man. And he just went out and played all the reps he could. Well, he was a monster. Nolan Ryan, when he got in that fist fight, if you want to call it that, with Robin Ventura, you know, where he was his granddad and put him in a headlock and nugget him and everything. But and then he went back to pitching. Somehow they didn't get thrown out, and there's blood all over his uniform, and he just, like, coming at you. Whatever. I'm playing. That's the good old days in sports when you could punch somebody and then just go right back to it. Not like the other day when, you know, Jose Ramirez just laid out Tim Anderson and they're both going to get suspended now. Down goes Anderson. <laughs> that was the greatest. Like, somebody needs to give that play-by-play guy a raise. He earned well, that. Well, there's that, and and he's not helping the cause when he posted a picture I saw on social media or his agent did of him on the field with two boxing gloves on. Yeah, from a couple and, of years. It was his agent, and, man, yeah. that just made me giggle. I loved it. I'm here for all of it, man. And I think the Cleveland Police Department are saying they're looking for about 35,000 witnesses. like they're not helping they're putting fuel on the fire oh it makes me giggle so all right so take andy's recommendation read a psalm um don't forget to check out the fine folks at saint gogano armory um etsy.com slash shop slash saint gogano armory check them out on twitter and instagram at saint gogano you can connect with us on Twitter at Hill Hipster Pod, or I guess connect with us on X at Hill Hipster Pod. And you it can will email us. Be Twitter. I know. <laughs> no, it's 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 woke now. It's it's Twitter X. It's like Latin X and Women X and folks. If you saw that double start, MB thing, I'm gonna start calling it ten. Just follow us on the ten. <laughs> But you can email us, uh, hillhipsterpod at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Gmail, as my my favorite hillbilly once said. <laughs> you got to put the in front of everything. Where are you going, the Walmart? See, and I, where I come from, it's not the the. It's everything has an S added after I was about to say, so if you're classy, it's the Kroger's. Yes. Because we're not, we can't uh, just go to one Kroger. You got to go to them all. Well, you got to hit them all because they don't have the same thing. No, no. Oh man, what a show! Final We've word, got, Andy. How did we go from quicksand to Jesus is my boyfriend to multiple Krogers? Like it, it's because I love I'm this over, show. I'm overcaffeinated because I got a new coffee apparatus at my house that I'm bowing down to as Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And I I'm saw you wired. got bougie. I saw where you got bougie. <laughs> I've been bougie. I just got bougier. Oh, man. On that note, I'm leaving. I love you. All right. Well, y'all just remember that the the Lord is with you and he is for you. Be blessed. Yeah. Where's the record button to stop it? Thank you.